folks, welcome to Hey Adora, your queer She-Ra podcast. I'm Force Captain F, they, them. And I'm Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are discussing the Seagate, or adventure! Yes! Oh my goodness, so much adventure! So many new characters to love! I actually counted the number of adventures in this, so I'm really proud of myself for doing that. Oh yeah. I am proud of you too, and also the number of Adora's cocky gay smirks is getting a little out of control. As it should, you know. The Seagate is Season 1, Episode 5, written by Sonia Warfeld, storyboard by Polly Guo and Mickey Quinn, and directed by Jan Bennett. Nice. So here we are. Here we are. We're at the, we're in the council room. Yeah, we're back in the Bright Moon War Room, and ostensibly Glimmer's one week of grounding is up, because she is now back at the table. Yep, and she's, uh, she's actually proposing some pretty decent strategies. Like, you're seeing why she was commander not just soldier yeah so she has a pretty decent idea also but can i just start with a second i love the fact that like she is she's totally on point now she's ready to be taken seriously as a military presence in the war room yep who would like to go first besides glimmer yep you know she stands up and she's very serious and she's like mom i mean uh er, your majesty of your royal momness let me present my official royal suggestions not at all casually. No nepotism. I, I'm I'm an official participant. Yeah, this I am part of the squad. Yes. Yeah, and you know, I love I love when she's like, me, 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 because that was definitely me. That was definitely me at school. I was like, I have the answer. Please call on me. I need attention. Oh, I know the answer yeah. to this. Glimmer is laying out who Mermista is, what her kingdom is in Selenius, why she would be such a great catch for the Princess Alliance. Totally. And Selenius definitely just sounds like some sort of like nasal spray to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most epic name for a sea kingdom. I will give you that. In fact, I kind of think that it would have been better if the little town with the swarthy seaside bar where they have to go get prepped should be called Selenius, and the epic kingdom where the Seagate is, where they need, you know, to make friends with the ruler should be Seaworthy. Yeah. Seaworthy is such more of an epic, you know, sea kingdom name. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But, you know, that ship has sailed. That's... Ah! Ah! <laughs> but, you know, let's get back to Glimmer in yeah. the War Room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angie's a little worried. It's a treacherous trip. But with She-Ra, a boat, and an experienced sea captain, we can conquer anything. This is definitely like one of my favorite jokes. It's the with She-Ra, you know, with X. Yes. We need this. With X yeah. and Y. Um, We're also going to need this. With X and <laughs> Y and Z. It's such like an old like. Oh, yeah. You know, it uses the comedic threes. Yes. Things are always funny when they're in threes. Yes. Such a classic. It is a classic. Although later, uh, once they are on the boat, it really doesn't seem like they do need an experienced sea captain. It seems like they just needed a map. That's what Glimmer says, so. But we'll get there. We'll get there. So Angie finally takes a chance. Yeah, she's like, all right, let's, that's, that makes sense. Let's do it. Let's give it a shot. So she's really shifting her perspective and she's willing to take a risk now that she hasn't been willing to take in a long time. Yeah, just make sure there is no violence. No violence, kids! No violence. I love that she has to tell Glimmer no violence. Yes. The sparkliest girl in all of Etheria wakes up every day and chooses violence. Yep. And this is why Glimmer is a punk rock badass. 
Oh, yeah. So we have some credits. Yeah, da 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 da. Things are happening. Yeah. And then where do we find ourselves? In Seaworthy. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if this is an intended pun. It reminded me of an Arrested Development when uh, Lucille's boat is called Seaward because she was a Seaward. I mean, I... I've seen a few episodes of that show, but I never really got into it. So it was a, it was a joke on the on the phrase the c word because she was the c word, and then so I'm like, is this called seaworthy because it is like seaworthy? The whole town? Just the bar? Just trying to figure out if it's the name of the local lesbian bar. That's all. I think it's the name of the town. All right, all right. Wait, the, to the town and the bar? No, no, no. It's- Seaworthy is not the name of the bar. What's the name of the bar? I don't know the name of the bar because we only see them on the inside of the bar. We don't see the outside of the bar, so we never see the the bar sign. But the town that they are in trying to get a boat to take them to Selenius is the town of Seaworthy. Okay, so it's a lesbian seaside town then. Yes. So let's get into what this seaside, cool-ass, ruffian seaport type bar has going on so how would we describe this music it's like seaside music like there was an accordion yeah playing like bagpipey or accordion yeah. i mean like... scottish are scottish people known for uh sailing particularly i, I don't think so i don't, I don't think so either but there were some definite shady dealings. This is like a Han Solo kind of bar, like a Star Wars bar. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, because there was the shady dealings and there was yeah. a shady dude with a cloak and there was drinking his drink through his trunk. Yep. Yep. I was exactly I was going to bring up that exact creature. Yes. And that this is absolutely the first time, but not the last time we see a Star Wars reference to the cantina. Yes. Um. Yeah. And the creature definitely looked like one from Star Wars. They're playing Go Fish for money. Yes, they are, which is adorable. And there's an awesome buff genderqueer bartender. With the with the tattoo. With, with the, the tattoo. The, the hook tattoo, because this person oh, yeah. knows how to hook fish. Mm-hmm. And Bo is absolutely enchanted with everything that's happening. And this is one of my first gay moments. Okay. You all know that we all know that we know, aka gayest moment, Bo just loses it. And he, he is just like peak bisexual this bar. He's very excited to find some pirates when he mm-hmm. says there are no he can't find pirates you're not allowed to look for pirates he goes hmm. i know i love that little r he's just so that excited. reminds me of every bad pirate joke i've ever enjoyed ironically oh yeah it's adorable cocky force captain adora is here also ready to give us her cockiest best this episode None of these people are qualified to sail a ship Ugh, i love cocky adora in this episode hot like i want to be like Okay, okay, Daddy. Okay, Daddy. Ad- oh, this is such a Daddy Adora this moment. This is Daddy Adora. I love Daddy Adora. Glimmer is the only one who is not like being cocky or strutting around or, you know, being dazzled with stars in their eyes. Glimmer is on point. Yeah, Glimmer's all fucking business. Well, she's got shit to do. She's got shit to prove, man. She's yep. she, she needs to get her she needs to get this done. So she asks the buff bartender where they might find a sea captain to take them to Selenius. Enter your friend and mine. It's Seahawk. The one and only Seahawk. Oh my god. Can I talk about Seahawk? You must. I love Seahawk. Um, so Seahawk is, as my partner has described, a sack of useless queer bravado. <laughs> 
and then looked at me pointedly. I don't think that's entirely true in either case. Well, not maybe. Surface level only. Surface level only. Surface level only. I mean, Seahawk is is a bisexual disaster, and I adore him. So we we are introduced to Seahawk, who very first comes off as this, like, too cool for school. You know, I have uh, have in my notes here that he is bisexual disaster Han Solo. Um, He kind of gives off that vibe. Yes, he's, you know, he can fly you around. He can do the 50, he ran the 50 click Galabreth gauntlet in less than 20 clicks, which is a reference to the original Star Wars. Uh Han Solo uh, was able to run the Kessel Run, which is a 20 parsec route in 12 parsecs. So we do have this very much this like Han Solo connection in the cantina. You know, this, this whole scene is very, very. So this seems like then all of this stuff is a reference to the first Star Wars movie, because this is the very beginning of the story. I, I'm just saying like this this scene itself and this introduction to Seahawk and Seahawk himself is very is just another point to the the show is so heavily in- influenced by Star Wars. It's incredible. Oh yeah. But I also think it's very telling that, you know, he's he's not the most muscly guy in the world, but he easily beats this giant green scaly person who's much larger than him. And the first thing he does is order a round of drinks for the house. And true, he's ordering it on the other guy's tab because he lost. But still, you know, he is a generous and friendly winner. He wants to share. He wants to share a celebratory drink with everybody. But that's a power move, though. I mean, he's also brash. He's he's a braggart, and that's a power move. That's like, all right, everybody, drinks on me because you all like me. But this guy's gonna pay for it. Like, right, exactly. But I'm saying, like, a lot of a lot of like those types. The type that he comes off as could be like, give me, give me all my fucking money and fuck off. Like he, he wouldn't, you know, like another type like him wouldn't want to waste his winnings on buying drinks for other people. He would want to just take it all and everybody else should fuck off, you know? Yeah. He, I mean, he comes off it as a very- It speaks to how social he is. He is. He's very social. He's warm and gregarious. Mm-hmm. It also, you know, kind of foreshadows his need for everybody to like him. He's yes. deeply insecure. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. he will do anything to get somebody to like him, to get to impress somebody. Um, mm-hmm. But he also, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's also good-hearted. Very. Yeah, it's funny. When I was watching this episode for the first time, Seahawk was definitely rubbing me the wrong way. I was like, oh, this guy. This guy's going to be a pain in the ass. This guy's, you know, this guy thinks he's king shit of fuck mountain, whatever. I'm not going to like him. But so, you know, once I got to know him more, I realized that the thing about him that differentiates him so much from others of his, like, of his type that we would expect to see is that he falls, again, completely outside the range of patriarchal expectations. Yes. So he thinks very highly of himself, but the point is that he wants others to think highly of him so they will include him in their shenanigans because he also thinks everyone else is awesome. He's not trying to be the king. He's not trying to be more awesome than everyone else. He openly admits that everyone else is awesome. He just wants to be one of the awesome people in the We're All Awesome gang. Yep, exactly. And he's very helpful. He's the first one to lend a hand. He wants everyone else to succeed too. Like, he doesn't tear anyone down, ever. And that's the last thing you expect from this type of pompous, 
you know, let me show you what a hero I am kind of guy. He really just wants people to pay attention to him and his naturally shiny mustache. Yes, of course. Oh, and also we have another great cocky force Captain Adora moment when she points out that just because he has the word C in his name doesn't automatically make him qualified to be a sea captain. Okay. I love it. And and the things that he, he brags about are not like super traditionally like, you know, hyper masculine things, you know. Right. His his sea shanties are so desirable that sirens fling themselves at him. They fling themselves into the ocean. Like Yep, and his mustache is naturally shiny, which of course leads to my second gayest moment, which is Bo immediately falling in love with Seahawk oh and my his God. mustache. Bo is so in love with Seahawk. I didn't nominate that because it was so like non-specific and overarching and it's I mean I can't say you're wrong obviously you're not wrong it's it's like a big part of this episode but there were like more specific moments that I felt like we could tease out but I can't slap you down on that one it's impossible I have like four or something moments where it's just Bo and Seahawk so I'm gonna break I'm gonna yeah. point those out and then wrap them up into Bo is so bisexual for Seahawk that's fair Bo is by for Seahawk. That's our hashtag for this episode. Bo is by for Seahawk. Yes. Actually, my first gayest moment nomination also comes up in this moment. At least this is the moment I chose to like stop and talk about it. We all know that we all know that Seahawk's outfit is also hella gay. I would wear the fuck out of that outfit. Yeah. So let's talk about his shirt. First of all, his shirt has a very wide, low cut square neck. And he's got this little bandana at the top that's like serving no purpose. It's just decorative. And then just below uh, the square neck of his shirt, there's just a thin strip of fabric. And then there's another open triangle. It's a boob window. (gasps) He does have a boob window. Yes. Seahawk has a boob window. From whence he pulls the paper to show Glimmer his feet. He pulls it out of his boob window. Oh my God, you're right. And he has earrings. Yep. In both ears. Yep. And the way he wears his hair, I feel like is also very gay. And it's like teasingly, teasingly boyish. Like, hello, boys. You know? I, I love bisexual sailors, you guys. Oh, yeah. I literally love. Plus, there's nothing more bisexual than a sailor. Oh, speaking of his, uh, speaking of his neckerchief, speaking of his hanky, mm-hmm. I do want to bring this up because it mm-hmm. is, you know, on brand for me and the podcast that according to the hanky code, which mm-hmm. if you are unfamiliar with the hanky code, it was a code developed in the mid, uh, mid 20th century for, um, people that were in the closet or, you know, within the community, but weren't particularly, uh, when it wasn't safe for people to be openly gay. Yeah, when it wasn't safe for people to be openly gay, or you're just at a club and you want people to know what you're into, you use the hanky code to, you know, signify what you're into. The uh, color red in the hanky code is for, you guessed it, fisting. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. Yep. Wow. So once again, you can push it in the hashtag Mef brings up fisting on Hayadora. <laughs> Wow, that's so interesting. Yep. I kind of feel like that's a reference to him wanting somebody to fist him because I can't see him fisting Mermista. She's way too in charge. Oh, yeah. No, definitely not. So like what's I feel like he would want her to fist him. I definitely agree. Yeah. I love how gay they both are, even when they're a couple with each other. Oh, I mean, we all know that bisexual couple that is just like, they're both super gay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're so bi for each other. Absolutely. It's fabulous. I love it. I love them. But we haven't even gotten to her yet. We, haven't, we don't even know Mermista yet. So let's let's keep it in our pants until we meet her. 
off. <laughs> it's going to be so, hard. I know, right? So we got past Seahawk's outfit. They can't afford his fee. So Adora arm wrestles him for it. Oh my God. And there's another fabulous cocky gay smirk there. But I'm not nominating it because they can't all be noms. I know, but it is extremely gay. Oh, it is. We get more Adora being just the biggest jock lesbian ever. Oh, yeah. Ugh. And I also have here, I love you, Daddy Adora. <laughs> She's the alpha jock. She's not just the jock. She definitely, Daddy Adora energy in this episode is just like off the chain. So, so Seahawk is totally confident about this because he is an undefeated champion of arm wrestling. He narrates his whole arm wrestling thing like he enjoys doing narrating all of his daring escapades his daring do's Bo is just totally ready to sit down and cheer on he's cheering for Adora though he's not cheering for Seahawk yep yeah Adora put him in the dirt put him in the dirt and Glimmer's like this is so dumb Glimmer I fucking love how Glimmer's like that would be me if I was there I would be Glimmer Oh, yeah. Glimmer's just like, I do not need to see this. No. But Adora does win in literally eight seconds flat. Yep. I did count. (laughs) Awesome. And Seahawk explains in his boldest voice that he actually let her win to boost her confidence. And then he very good naturedly agrees that he's been wanting a reason to go to Slinny's anyway. So come on, kids. For to adventure! Adventure! We didn't. We did uh, fail to mention one thing when we introduced Seahawk. Is mm. that Glimmer is like, meh, whatever. Trying to negotiate, we'll find another captain. And right. then Seahawk is like, oh well, I'm, I'm, I go there often to visit my close personal friend, Princess yes. Vermista. Yes, that's right. Which kind of seals the deal for Glimmer. She's like, okay, fine. But also, he says there are no other sea captains there. Right, which is questionable. Questionable. But yes, he does say that he knows Mermista. That was an important point that we cannot skip over. So we have Seahawk, who knows Mermista, and off they go. Off they go. But oh no, what's on the balcony? Oh, it's a shadow spy. It's a shadow spy. And the shadow spy, you know, shadows away, shadows out our whole view of everything and leads us back to fucking Shadow Weaver. Yeah. Welcome to the Fright Zone where Shadow Weaver is standing with her magical reflecting pool. Mm Mm-hmm. Her spooky scrying bowl. Her spooky scrying bowl. Yeah. And we get some villainous exposition here. Yep. Some typical... Shadow Weaver, catch a torture delight. Yep. So Shadow Weaver is like, you need to go to Seaworthy to bring Adora back. I'm giving you one last chance to bring her back. And Catra's like, um, Hordak said to stop doing this. Hordak literally just told you to stop doing this. And you're just gonna fucking do it. And Shadow Weaver's like, snitches get stitches. So, okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) Let's go anyway. It's about time you started treating me like a force captain. Au contraire, Catra. You're not going by yourself. You're gonna meet a brand spanking new friend. Oh my god. You get a friend, Catra. A friend that you do not deserve. No one deserves. None of us deserve. Force Captain Scorpia. None of us deserve Scorpia. Oh, it's true. What are some things we love about Scorpia? Everything. 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 But a few things that I could specifically name, if we want to get into it for like a hot second. Brave, loyal, Uh great hugs. Great hugs. And unbeatable 
positive attitude. Oh, and Scorpia is like a lovely example of situational irony. Oh, yeah. Because when we first meet Scorpia, we, sh- you know, we-, we do the whole villainous shadow thing, which you've seen before. But yep. then what comes right out of her mouth first? Kitty! Kitty! <laughs> and she runs over, just so you know, I'm, I'm a, a hugger. hugger. Yep. And then we all lose our shit because it's the cutest at Scorpia. We do not deserve Scorpia. I know. It's so great because like Scorpia's first move is to physically lift Catra off the ground in a hug. And Catra's first move is to, like, react like an actual cat who's been picked up by a total stranger and, like, low-key physically panic and just thrash around until she can get herself out. Yep. Oh, And the thing we also, you know, more with the situational irony of Scorpia is that she's one of the first, like, very muscular, tall cut. Like, she looks like a Mm -hmm. bodybuilder. Oh, yeah. And she is just... She's a muscle. And she's such a cinnamon roll. I know. Oh, she's such a cinnamon roll. She embodies so much. She contains multitudes. She does contain multitudes. Wonderful, beautiful multitudes. Yes. Her awesome hair. The little, like, platinum-y hair. Oh my god. Her hair. Everything about Scorpia. Her hair is so gay. We love sweet baby Scorpia so much. We do not deserve Scorpia. And I'm giving a gayest moment nomination honorable mention. Honorable mention. Me and Scorpia's boob window. I'll allow that. I'll allow that. It's not part of the vote. It's just an honorable mention. I would like to point out that this entire episode is very gay. Oh my god. I mean, I feel like we say that every episode and with very good reason. It's very true. Oh, and I have one final question before we move on. What is Catra and Scorpia's ship name? Scorptra. Scorptra. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Scorptra. That's much better than what I was imagining. <laughs> what were you thinking it was? I was thinking like Scatra, which would be terrible. Nope, that's bad. Yeah, Scorptra. Scorptra. Yeah, yeah, that totally works. I just never heard it. I've never heard anyone refer to them as a in a ship name way. Fair. Okay, mystery solved. All of this conversation has happened in Shadow Weaver's inner sanctum. And so even meeting this co-captain that's going to babysit her... Catcher can handle that as long as she's getting a real vehicle this time, right? Cut to the horde ship. Horde ship. Yes. Just horde horde boat. Just just the horde ship. Just the horde boat. Scorpia, of course, loves boats. Scorpia loves everything, man. She's got the joie de vivre. Oh, she's so positive. The wind in your hair. The ocean for miles and miles on every side. Watery death awaiting at the slightest mishap. I feel like that took a weird turn. I know, but she's still so positive about it. I know, it. but like, she <laughs> she is. That's what I call living. Yeah, but Catra really needs you to shut up, dude. Yeah, because Catra is a cat and... Cats and water are like two unmixy things. Yes. And now for another round of Catra cannot accept basic human kindness and doesn't even know what the shit is happening when some try- someone tries to give it to her. Oh. <laughs> it's a recurring theme. That's a recurring theme. Yeah. I mean, granted, Scorpio overdoes it a little. Yeah, we can pep that one up. But like, Catra has absolutely no idea. It's like, what the fuck are you actually doing right now? Scorpio is just trying to make her feel better from her seasickness. Yep. Focus on me. 
focus on me. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, Scorpia. But, you know, also Scorpia isn't, like, totally respecting Catra's boundaries either. No, of course not. Like, whether or not it's, you know, like, well-intentioned or anything, Sweet Baby Scorpia sometimes doesn't understand physical boundaries. No, she doesn't at all. Her heart is in the right place, and she's, oh, Sweet Baby Scorpia. So, but in the background, um, Lonnie, Kyle, and Rogelio are still actually having fun in this hellish horde life. Yep. Where Catra now yells at them and orders them around instead of Shadow Weaver. Yep. And oh, Lonnie's just, we're going to have to take our Lonnie moment. Hey, Lonnie. Hi, Lonnie. Let's not waste it, though, because there's more Lonnie coming later. There's never a way to waste a Lonnie moment. (laughs) But so now we will leap from the horde ship to a different ship, the Dragon's Daughter 3. What happened to the Dragon's Daughter 1 and 2? No, you have to say it in the way Adora would say it. What happened to the Dragon's Daughter 1 and 2? Tragically, they went down in flames. How did that happen? I set them on fire. (laughs) Adventure! Adventure! So Seahawk is pumped. Super pumped. He's got some innocent babes out on a great adventure across the sea. He's going to teach them everything he knows in shanty form. Ooh, ooh, guess what I have? What do you have? I have some information about sea shanties. Oh, please. We're going to learn about sea shanties. So, a sea shanty is a, a type of work song that was used to accompany the rhythmic labor of working on a ship as part of a crew, specifically sailing ships. There are traditionally two types of rhythms. It's the hauling rhythm, which is the pulling action, or the heaving rhythm, which is the pushing action. So most sea shanties that you hear are using those two particular rhythm sets. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it it makes me think I've never actually heard a sea shanty. Oh, well, we're going to have to listen to some sea shanties. Um, And one of the really interesting things that the sea shanty does, like every work song, so a work song is a song that is traditionally used to set the rhythm of the work that you're doing in a group. So everybody is doing the work at the same rhythm and the pace of the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. But like, you know, the way Seahawk is singing his sea shanties, they're just big epic songs about adventures at sea. (laughs) Ah, yes, but it absolutely 100% makes sense that he is going to teach them how to sail using the sea shanty. Mm, That's true. And here's a list of some totally awesome sea shanties if you want to check them out. Okay. So Holloway Joe, Drunken Sailor, which folks probably know. I totally know that one. Yeah. What shall we do with a drunken sailor? Yeah. Um, Leave her Johnny. Cape Cod Girls. And at this particular moment in time, there is a sea shanty kind of uh, thing going around. Yeah, that's like a really big meme now where people are really into sea shanties right now. Uh, and the one that is kind of kind of brought that up is called Weller Man. Another fun fact about sea shanties, the second date with my partner, they took me up to Gloucester, Massachusetts, which is an old fishing town and still is a fishing town, to sing sea shanties with sailors in a bar. That is a fun fact. It was it was a fun date. I believe you. So, you know, sea shanties. All right. But so Seahawk is so excited to sing these sea shanties with the best friend squad. But too bad they already knew they already know how to do all of this boat stuff, which I don't know how they do because I don't think they've ever sailed before. But Bo knows how to do the knots and he's so by for Seahawk when uh, Seahawk is impressed with his knots. 
oh, he almost yeah. dies. That is probably my biggest buy for Seahawk moment is the, those are impressive knots. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Seahawk is impressed with my knots. This is the best day of my life. It's like, uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. But then actually comes my next nom for Gaius moment. Um, I mean, again, there are so many. I was just trying to parse them out into like discrete moments that you can point to rather than just vague, all-encompassing things that we know are true. The cocky gay smirk of Adora is that I have to call the winning one overall for this episode when uh, Seahawk tells her that she's doing a better job with the jib than he could even. And she says, oh... So what you're saying is, I'm better at this than you. Yeah, I actually have that. And there's a cocky gay smirk there with the arms folded. Yep. The cocky lean back and the shoulder move. Like, it's all very beautiful. It is very beautiful. I actually, I also have that because it is just... Priceless. It is peak, that lesbian. Yes, it is. It's the, hey, it's the, hey, ladies, do you need me to fix your car lesbian? Only it's the energy that is directed towards a dude. Um, so poor sad Seahawk. Feels unimportant and irrelevant. And he says, what do you even need old Seahawk for? Turns out they just need his map. So I actually, uh, we skipped ahead. We skipped over something I want to talk about, oh, which is we, we actually do get to hear one of Seahawk's sea shanties. Oh, yeah, we do. So, you know, up to this point in the show, it's very much kind of told in a linear way, visually. You know, it's, it's told more like a straight story. Um, whereas in this, we have them burst into song, which, okay, fine. But visually, we actually cut to a couple of different things that make it feel more like kind of a, um, they're utilizing the form of animation here. And it cuts them out of the kind of storytelling that the universe is in. So the first one is Seahawk is, is bouncing around and he says, some say I'm a hero. Some say that I'm your man. We have the... Bo is holding the flag of Seahawk, which we never see Bo actually find, right? So we have this tableau where this this flag comes out of nowhere and goes away and never is never to be seen again. And the other one also is- Also, that flag is super gay. Oh, the flag is super gay. But the second part that we see that really kind of takes you out of it, you know, takes you into like this like pocket universe of uh, visual language is Bo has a violin. Just randomly has a violin. Sure. So this is this is the type of thing that you see in a lot of cartoons. You know, it's like a Bugs Bunny type of thing, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes you out of the straight ahead space and brings you into like a very hyper uh, hyper space almost. This is the first and one of the few times that we see something explicit like this. We see it a lot with like, you know, when everybody does the happy anime eyes. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, you also see it during the transformation sequences, because let's be real, Adora is not like jumping into space and seeing that like it's very symbolic. Yeah, that's true. I don't see it so much as a nonlinear issue. It's more just like the rules of tangible reality cease to exist for a few minutes. Yes, that is exactly the way that I'm looking to phrase that. Uh Aha! Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. I was trying to noodle that one out, but yes, the tangible laws of the particular universe are suspended. Yes. Yes. So that is something that I wanted to point out here because that's not really something that you see in the show. No, but Seahawk is a fantastical creature. Yeah. In, in his own way. Yeah, Seahawk just kind of also doesn't exist in, like... He, yeah, he's not quite constrained by the mundane rules of reality. Not really. Not quite. It's not like he's a total fairy. No, he's not a total fairy. He's just, um... He can't flit off, you know, on golden wings. 
But, you know, he, he sees the adventure in everything so full-heartedly that it's like he never, even though he is crippled with um, insecurity in a lot of ways as a person, he fully embraces, like, uh, the, you know, the idea of adventure. He's like, we're all going to go have this amazing adventure. And it's and the way he paints it in his mind, you know, his confidence in that is so huge. Well, Seahawk is also like this. The character of Seahawk is also one that attaches narrative to everything that he does. Yes, exactly. He, you know, often exaggerates the narrative. Oh, yes, completely. Yeah, because it's a story. Because, you know, existence is a story for him. Existence is the narrative. Existence Mm -hmm. is the adventure. Yes. Because he's ridiculous. And I love him. Yes, we all love him. So Glimmer got the map. And she really wants to focus on the super important mission and enough already with the damn shanties. She wants to go more forward in linear time. And Seahawk is more than happy to focus on the super important mission from the queen. Obviously, that makes him feel like he's on a grand adventure. Um, I have a, a mini gay moment here mm-hmm. again because they're arm wrestling again. And when Adora beats him again, her just mm-hmm. yes yeah. is uh, Daddy Adora. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And Bo is super into spectating when they're arm wrestling. Oh, so yeah. Glimmer is like, again, she's kind of thrust into this mom role that she's not enthusiastic about. She's just like, oh my god, I'm stuck with a bunch of dumbasses. Well, yeah, and also Glimmer recognizes that A, they have shit to do, and B, this is her mission and they have to stay on her mission. Exactly, exactly. She really wants everyone to stay on mission, and she just fucking noticed that there is a ship graveyard off in the distance, and nobody seems worried about it. And also that they may not be going particularly in the right way. Yes, they might totally be off course. But Seahawk is ready to give the best friend squad the adventure of a lifetime as the serpent of the sea approaches. And this, you know, adventure of a lifetime is deflated in Seahawk's eyes because Adora is like, hold my beer. I got this. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's not an adventure of a lifetime if it only takes eight seconds to complete. You know, so Adora's like, I'll hold my beer, I got this, jumps into the ocean, Seahawk is like, does she do this a lot? And they were like, yeah. Oh, but this is such a great moment. I want to go back for a hot sec to when we were discussing some Jungian concepts in psychology and we brought up um, the the Jungian idea of the shadow. Yes, let's do this. You know, the parts of yourself that you don't like and haven't faced up to or reconciled with and then you just see them as character flaws in someone else. So let's look at Glimmer and Seahawk in yes, this episode please. overall, but especially in this moment. Yes, please. Yay. Glimmer is the only one who's really frustrated with Seahawk throughout this whole episode. Yep. So right now, she says to him explicitly, she says, I can't believe you're wasting our time taking us off course on purpose just to bump into your sea serpent buddy here just to impress us. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm already so busy trying to save Etheria to impress my mom. Yep. It's not just that she's, you know, she could have stopped with like, I can't believe you're fucking around like this trying to impress us when we're so busy trying to save Etheria. That could have been and probably should have been the end of the sentence. Like, sure. you know, come on, man. We have lives to save. Like, that would have been a very good reason. But no, 
We're trying to save Etheria to impress my mom. Yep. So she'll give me another mission. I can't believe you're wasting time trying to impress us. I'm busy over here trying to impress my mom. Yep. You know, goddamn, this guy, he doesn't get it. He's worried about trying to impress people. Doesn't he know that I need to impress people? Exactly. So Adora, get in the damn boat. We got some shit to take care of, all right? Yep. And now we will mosey back to the hardship again. Yay! So I wanted to draw a parallel between two of some of our favorite animation shows. Do it! Once again, we're going to be bringing up Avatar. This is specifically from Avatar The Last Airbender. Mostly bringing this up because doesn't the Horde ship look like one of the Fire Nation ships? Sure. They're both metal. Yeah, it has that type of like metal industrial vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we have the, the metal, the metal industrial, you know, horde. Yeah. Pollution spewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely can agree with that. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, that mechanic ship versus the sailboat. So, you know, we have once again, the, the hordes, you know, mastery over nature versus the uh, rebellions working in communion with nature. Absolutely. Agreed. Also, Kyle writes for all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kyle writes, leave no Kyle behind. Leave no Kyle behind. But back on the Horde ship, Catra is pissed. What else is new? Oh, Shadow Weaver didn't bother to mention that there was a giant gate blocking our way to Selenius. But Scorpio reminds her they covered this in Force Captain Orientation. And I would like to talk about Force Captain Orientation. Sure. So... This is another parallel that we see between Catra and Adora and their narratives and their their journeys being protagonists together. Okay. Past Shiras are chosen, they know they're being chosen, and they are trained. Mm-hmm. Past Force Captains are chosen, know that they are being chosen, and they are trained. Both Shira slash Adora and Catch Force Captain Catra slash Catra have their jobs thrust upon them. That's true. They both don't get any training. So they both don't get any training. They're both kind of thrown in there and therefore kind of have to learn on the job. Uh, they both have very unorthodox paths through their careers. Look at this in careers. And because of this, end up being the most successful force captain and the most successful Shira mm. because they were unorthodox. That's a very good point. I am going to draw a parallel between this and one of the best shows of all time that has ever existed, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes! We also see this um, kind of trope of the unorthodox training mm. leading to the um, kind of the best, the, best them of, uh, the best of them of all time. Yes. Um, it's, it's established that, you know, Buffy doesn't have the same, you know, long-term training that other people that are slayers do, um, in terms of being found when they were young and being trained when they were young before they were, you know, right. called to be the slayer. And because of that, the, um, an orthodox path that Buffy takes leads her to be the most successful slayer of all time. Right. Cause she's not constrained by her expectations of how it's supposed to be. Yep. And we have that with Catra, both Catra and Adora. So. That is true. That is a good insight, my friend. Thanks. I mean, it, anytime I get to talk about Buffy, I will. Oh, same, obviously. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we know. We know. Yeah. And in fact, later in this episode is some fairly heavy-handed Buffy Faith parallels with Cassadora. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Totally. So we have, you know, Catra being like, all right, fine. You know what? Fuck it. If we yeah. didn't know about the gate, then let's just try to get through the gate. Let's yeah, just do yeah. this. Fuck it. You know, we're here. We're going to do it. And of course, meanwhile, Lonnie, Kyle, and Rahelio are having fun in the background, laughing in the boat, Aww. which Catra does not approve of because they should be doing boat things. Yep. Whatever boat things are, you yeah. know, look busy, you know. But just- really, she just feels left out, I think. So definitely. It makes her sad when she sees them having fun without her. Yeah. Oh, but she can't have fun. Or no. she, she does not think that she can have fun. No, 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 no. So rah, rah, rah. Find us away in morons. But, and so, okay, here's the other thing. Um, It's the ocean. Yes. Right? Like, how come, like, they can't just, like... Oh, I know, right? Like, this is the only place... I thought about that quite a bit too. <laughs> right? Did they like? Here's the secret back door to Selenius. Like, yo, know, if, right? if this was like properly scouted, like maybe the know. the horde would have been able to find a way to get there. I don't like, know. This gate is impenetrable, and it's the only place you're allowed to attack. Which, yeah, exactly. Which I I will I will concede to. You know, the internal logic of this in the in the episode is that they have to get there in a particular time frame showing up this way in this route would get them there the same way like they're anticipating getting there at the same time as adora so they can get adora so i will you know i don't think they knew adora was going to be there ahead of time yeah they did they did the shadow spies said oh, you know right of course of course they did right they had to go to the part where shiro was going to be exactly so they're like well you know this is probably the fast this is the fastest way right, to get of there of course of course but like yo <sighs> I know. I mean, I just let it go because it's one of those things that, like, you have to let it go. So fuck it. So fuck it. Let's go back to the dragon's daughter. Dragon's daughter. Because it's Dokken. It's Dokken at Selenius. It is Dokken at Selenius in the back at the back door. It's Dokken at the back door. And immediately they notice that some things seem to be amiss. Like, where are all the castle guards or literally anyone at all? Right? There's nobody there except for one panting guy who comes running up to greet them, like literally the only castle guard. Yep. This poor guy, he's yelling, halt, from like 100 yards away. And then like, halt, from 75 yards away. Halt! Like, we, we really believe in you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you keep, keep, keep coming. Yeah. Keep saying halt as long as you need to, even though nobody's moving anyway. We have halted. Yes, they are halted. But so he does bring them up to Mermista's chambers throne room whatever that is <sighs> yay and we yay, get to Mermista. meet Mermista. hi Mermista. hi Mermista. okay uh so um definitely have a crush on Mermista. oh yeah get in line oh yeah no she's like mermaid aubrey plaza she's awesome <laughs> it's so funny like how to describe her character because she's not mean to anybody no definitely not she's not rude no she is just very invested in making sure everyone knows how uninvested she is in everything (laughs) she is too cool for school too cool for school but she doesn't even seem like she thinks she's so cool she's so detached she's done with everything before it starts yeah there's this nihilist edge to it it's like whatever the world is dying the world is burning i don't care it's like whatever yeah she's kind of got like a daria vibe yes 
Yes, that is perfect. Um, and Marista is not happy to see Seahawk, but she's fairly fine, indifferent, whatever, with everybody else. So I want to kind of talk about uh, Marista and Seahawk. Sure. While Seahawk does kind of, uh, you know play up the relationship that they have mermista does not deny that they have no, some sort of relationship does. she's just super annoyed by him all the time even though it is absolutely like the the two things that she brings up are uh remember when we went to you got us kicked out of the dolphin social yeah which the implication of that is they went there on a date Yes, of course. And you set our our boat on fire in the tunnel of love. You set the gondola on fire in the tunnel of love. I love that. The idea yes. of him just being unable to not set boats on fire, which I feel like is a metaphor for something, but I haven't figured it out. Oh, it definitely is. And yeah, it's hard to figure out what it's a metaphor for. I feel because... like it's a metaphor for how he interacts with people and how he builds relationships. It's really hard to pin down. And as we get going towards like the later seasons, it's going to come up in more and more different ways. So I feel like it's too early for us to even try to pin it down. The way he reacts, though, when she reminds him of that, and he's sitting in her lap, which I love. Again, uh -huh. like yeah. he's not trying to romance her in a traditionally manly way. He is, he's so subby in the way he he interacts with her. Oh, he's so, oh my God. You know, he, he throws himself across her lap. He's basically lying down in her lap. And, you know, she reminds him about how he set their gondola on fire in the tunnel of love. And she throws him off of her lap onto the floor. And he's kind of delighted. He's like, that I do recall. And he's blushing. He's blushing, yeah. Like, like he definitely remembers they were definitely having some fun in a tunnel of love before he he's like... He definitely remembers, but, you know, like, in, in terms of really black and white markers of how gendered reactions are supposed to be seen in, you know, old school, old timey black and white, not black and white TV, but black and white gender roles on TV. He's yes. totally taking the girl part. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Flopping into the lap. Yeah. He giggles. He's te yes, he's teasing, he's giggling, he's blushing. And and Mermista's like, not, ugh, I'm so over this, whatever. Yeah, it's so much fun. But we do have to go on with like, what is actually happening in this scene besides Seahawk and Mermista flirting in their own adorable, bizarre way. It's a very screwball comedy kind of way, right? Like it's, oh, you yeah. know, it's a push and pull. Oh yeah. And she never denies that they in indeed do have that relationship. Yeah. She's just like, ugh, why is he here? Don't give yeah. him any foods. Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> Hors d'oeuvres for everyone, except for Seahawk. But, you know, Glimmer does the, the royal thing. Hey, yes, I'm Glimmer yes, of Brightmoon. Yes. We've never met. But, you know, our parents fought in the rebellion and we're here to start up a new one. Mm -hmm. And Mermista is like, ugh, that was a total disaster. Mm -hmm. And Glimmer pulls out her favorite line. It was a disaster for our parents. Yep. Not for us. Not for us. And hey, that's when Mermista also, either right before this maybe, or after, I, I think it might have been before, Mermista explains that the reason she only has one guard and her guard is also her butler is that uh, the Seagate is failing and everybody's fleeing and, yep. you know, it's whatever, I'm handling it. But it's a little inconvenient because the Horde won't stop attacking. Yeah, and you actually see the seriousness of Mermista. Mermista really really cares about her kingdom and she really oh, yeah. cares about her people and she's like 
you know, she really takes her role as a princess and a leader very, very seriously. Well, I don't know if you can really tell that at this moment. I agree with you. I think the way that it's animated, you can, because she definitely has this very kind of solemn look that's not like her, I'm too cool for school, and is like, if the horde tries to attack us, we're pretty much dead. So, you know, if she was too cool for school, it would be like, you know, she's saying I'm handling it. It's just kind of inconvenient. Yeah, I mean, when she says I'm handling it, she turns away from them and gazes out the window. And maybe that's because she doesn't want to see anybody... She doesn't want anyone to see her having potential serious emotions on her face. Exactly. And she takes this very, very fucking seriously. Yeah, she does. And that's a fantastic opening for Glimmer to be like, yo, the Horde is exactly why we're here. So we can help you save your kingdom. And then you can totally join us in the Princess Alliance. Doesn't that sound great? And Mermista is like, why should I help you? Bright Moon has never helped me. Yeah, she's skeptical. And Seahawk, of course, tries to sing about it. (laughs) And Mermista shuts him down hard in like literally two seconds. Immediately. No shanties. No shanties. Not happening. I love that Bo was like, I thought she liked you. Oh, we have a rich and complicated past. Yes. And that's when we get to, you know, uh, their rich and complicated past of them, you know, absolutely doing romantic things together and definitely have an on on again, off again, screwball, will they, won't they, Mm tension-y, fun, Mm -hmm. goodness. I have written in my notes at this part that Seahawk flings himself across Mermista's lap like a fuckboy. B-O-I, boy. <laughs> oh, have you seen the the edits, the fan edits online of Seahawk without a mustache? No. Oh my god, they're ridiculous. I don't know if I want to see that. He just straight up looks like, like a hipster lesbian. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, and conveniently, Adora sees some first ones writing on the wall in the Selenius throne room. Oh, hey, look, it's something about the gate. Perhaps it will help them. And Glimmer actually asks this time, do you think you can fix it? Mm -hmm. Yes, she does. So we see this change from Glimmer being like, you can do this to, you know, kind of acknowledging that, you know, maybe she should ask first. So yes, that it's not up to her to make promises on Adora's behalf. And I love that. Yay, Glimmer. Yeah, that's a really important piece of growth. Absolutely. So Glimmer asks, can you can you fix this? And also for Adora, she's like, well, I can try. Right. They're both not putting undue pressure on each other or themselves. Yep. And Glimmer says, you know, if Adora can fix this, will you consider joining us? Mm -hmm. And Mervis is like, okay, whatever, maybe. But big negotiation point here is that Seahawk needs to leave me the fuck alone. Right. Oh, Seahawk. Seahawk has to go wait by the car. So that you won't get in the way of the grownups. We'll come get you when we need you. So Shira springs into action. <laughs> and Mermis is this like... this might take a while. Yeah. And Mermis is like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's different. That's a thing that happens. Yep. But is definitely like absolutely impressed. Oh, yeah absolutely impressed yeah that's the the best she can say is that's different it's adorable but glimmer sees seahawk looking like he's about to take off in his ship with his mustache between his legs oh <laughs> okay maybe not that no 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 i love that that's perfect boop, boop. nobody likes <laughs> me people liked me at home and when i first moved here all the things that i did at home people liked but they don't like it when i set my boat on fire. He's sad. He just wants to fit in and have friends. He's doing it the way he knows how to do, which is wrapping them into his fun stories. Yeah. Not everybody wants to live in a story. Sometimes you just want to live in the world. 
That's true. But they have an awesome heart to heart and they both bolster each other's spirits. Yep, because they both realize that maybe if they weren't always trying to prove things to other people, they would actually be able to be happier, fitter, more, you know, more effective, etc, etc. Also, Seahawk really bolsters Glimmer's spirits about the fact that she is a good leader. Yeah. And she doesn't have anything to prove because she's already doing a good job. Yep. And <laughs> never gets her name right. Oh, yeah. Shimmer, sparkles. Yep. I love it. So they're back on track, the two of them. It's adorable, the two of them together. And Shira's still doing her thing with the Seagate when the horde attacks. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And of course, Shira just needs a little more time. So you got to keep him busy, guys. Yep. And Catra says pretty much the exact same thing to Scorpia. Keep those fuckers busy because I have plans. Oh, goodness. We know what her plans are. Her plans are to fuck with Shira. Yeah. Those are always her plans. Yep. And now we get to the part of the show where Catra and Shira pretty much do their own thing while everybody else fights the battle. <laughs> yes. But before we even get to the Catradora battle part, we have some other fun things going on. We have Mermista turning into a mermaid. Yup. Which is fabulous. Yup. Oh, and waterbending. Yes. We have waterbending. We have Bo also leaping into action and being the, you know, highly skilled and critically necessary normal guy. Yup. Oh, and he gets to live out a little bit of his pirate fantasy by propelling himself down the sail of the horde ship by tearing into it with his bow yep. and then riding it down, you know, like um, like in Goonies. Yep. Hey, you guys. <laughs> That's a great moment for him. You can tell he loves it. Oh, yeah, totally. And then there is like a pretty righteous, like, you know, knockdown drag out fight. Oh, yeah. With him and Lonnie. With him and Lonnie, who just... Oh. Yes. Ugh, Lonnie. Lonnie in battle is bitchin'. Ugh, it's so good. It's so good. Lonnie's a solid fighter. Yeah, she's a machine. But seriously, Kyle. Serious. Oh, he tryin'. Kyle he, writes. He, he always tries, and then by virtue of him trying, he ends up making everything worse. Ugh, but then Scorpio just kind of picks Bo up and is like, let's just yeah, chuck him and over. Yeah, and yes, Bo, she is big. Yep. Oh, you're yep. big. And she just flicks him away like a bug. Yep. Which is pretty fucking awesome. And also ironic, considering she is a scorpion. I had not thought about that. I don't even think of scorpions as bugs. Well, they're not bugs. Yeah, I'm saying like they're yeah. creatures. They are creatures. They're terrifying. I just, th I love how powerful she is. She just flicked him. Like he's something on the on her fingertip. Yep. You know, it's like stuck to her fingertip and you just kind of flick it away. Yep. And she's just like, see ya. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even need to say a word. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, the one thing that I like about when we see Scorpia fighting, she she's fighting because she knows she needs to fight, right? There's nothing, she doesn't come at things with, like, malicious fury. That's true. That's true. She's not looking for any gratuitous violence. No, she's just like, all and right. And she let's... certainly wasn't trying to kill him. She wasn't aiming for anything. She was just trying to, she was, you know, she's doing what you're supposed to do in a fight, which is end it as quickly as possible. Exactly. But, oh no, Bo's still in trouble now. He's headed for this very big, very scary fan what will happen to Bo? oh seahawk swoops in like a pirate and saves him and puts his arm around his waist and looks longingly into his eyes and 
Oh my god, that Ugh. is true. That happens. That definitely gay happens. Bisexual rights for Seahawk. And that Bo. is definitely that was my gayest moment nomination number three. I've actually lost count overall of how many gayest moment nominations we've had in this episode. It's fine. Seahawk to the rescue. He swings in at the exact right second. Yep. On a rope, grabs Bo like Spider-Man. Landing yep. safely on the dragon's daughter. Bo is like about to come in his pants and he literally has stars in his eyes when he's looking up at Seahawk. Oh yeah, I so I super ship them, by the way. I love them. I absolutely love them. Bohawk. <laughs> and then, you know, Bo says, that was amazing. And Seahawk says, yes, it was amazing. Thank you for noticing. Thank you for noticing. And love is in the air between these two. Because that is exactly the dynamic that they both need to have with each other before they go off into the sunset and kiss. And Seahawk has the same like sparkle shine that Adora had in her wholesome lesbian hero smile when she looked at Perfuma. Yep. Pretty conclusive stuff. And even though all of that was sick as fuck, awesome action, none of it slowed the hordeship down at all. So Glimmer comes up with an idea. But nobody's allowed to tell my mom, okay? And like a good commander, plays on her crew's strengths. Mm-hmm. Seahawk, it's time for you to do what you do best. What? Set your ship on fire! And he just has stars in his eyes. Oh my god, it's like the happiest moment of his life. (laughs) It's like, somebody wants me to do the thing I'm good at. That's like the most popular gif of him on the internet, period. He's so happy. He's so happy. Because he's seen. Yes. He's seen for who he is. Yes. A disaster bisexual sailor who likes to set things on fire. And finally, people need him to do what he does. Oh, and he loves feeling useful because he loves to be part of a team. Yeah, he just wants to be part of the team. He doesn't need everyone else to be small so he can feel like he's bigger. Oh, he just wants to be as big as them. Yeah. He just wants to be part of, like, a Knights of the Round Table situation. Sweet baby Seahawk and your shiny mustache. (laughs) He's the bomb. We love Seahawk. Yes. But meanwhile, Lonnie and Kyle are shooting giant green lasers at the Seagate. Oh, no! And, of course, Adora's struggling. Yep. So that's a perfect time for Catcher to show up. So now we get to the gayness. Yes. Ugh, these two. Yes. These two. Time for some angsty gayness. This is the first time they see each other face to face since Adora left. Yeah. And their dynamic, while a little bit more uh, antagonistic, still hasn't changed very much. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, it's it's a lot more antagonistic, I would say. Well, it's a lot more antagonistic. Like, they recognize that they're on separate sides of things, but Catra And Catra literally... is so deeply wounded. Yes. And yeah, exactly. It's the first time seeing your ex-girlfriend after you broke up. And it was a bad breakup, but you still have the remnants. Like, you right. still have the, the behavioral patterns. You still patterns. have the feelings. Yeah. And the behavioral patterns that you always have, yeah. you fall into yeah. your rhythm. It's yeah. just a bitchier rhythm. That's true. That's a good assessment. Yeah, like they still have their rhythm. Like, it's true because Catra is still teasing Adora the way she's always teased her. It's just like more malicious now. She's sitting on the sword taunting her because she knows that Shira is a captive audience here. She's got nowhere to go. She can't walk away. Right. And also she knows that she would anyway. 
Like, she knows that she would be, you know, she would be the focus of Adora's attention anyway. That's true. And so, I'm sorry, I just want to point out one little moment that is very telling for Catra's emotional state is when Catra, you know, shows Adora her Force Captain badge and she says, now that you're gone, I got your promotion. Yep. And Adora just says, congratulations. And you can see that Catra does not like that. No. Catra wants Adora to be jealous, to want to come back. Yep, and then Catra says, isn't this the thing you wanted the most in all of the world? Mm-hmm. And that's so, like, ugh, that's so coded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hasn't this all gone on long enough? And Adora's like, no, baby, I told you, I can't come home again. I can't come home, baby. And so that's when Catra loses whatever cool she actually had and starts attacking for realsies instead yep. of just toying with her like a cat. Yeah, the claws are out now. Yeah, and they're sharp. And they are sharp. Yeah. And Heartbroken, Out of Control, Catra is the perfect time for another Gayest Moment nomination. Oh, let's hear what you, let's hear how you phrased yours, because I will show, tell you how I phrased mine, because obviously this is one of the Gayest Moments. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, it's very simple. This is what you left me for? Yes. Dress up games and a light show, and your new best friends are nowhere to be seen. But it's really just, this is what you left me for. See, mine is, yes, this is what you left me for. But it's also the way that she, so she jumps around her and she cradles her face. Mm. And it's so intimate. Of course. It's, uh, and she's behind her doing it. She's not looking her in the eye. She's like, like holding her face and whispering in her ear. Yeah. This is what you left me for. When did you get so weak? Yeah. And it's just like, yo, you could just say this to her face, but no, you're like holding her behind her. That's true. Saying it like, yo, come on. Like, yes, you know, we've already established that you're very touchy-feely, but this is very, very intimate. Yeah. And again, I feel like a lot of the core back and forth about like the this is what you left me for is a very strong parallel to Buffy and Faith. Mm. Um, After, you know, for those of you who haven't seen Buffy, I'm sorry, you should go see it. Otherwise, you know, your life might be a meaningless void. That's I don't fair. want that. I don't want that to happen to you. Okay. Uh, within the show, there uh, Buffy is the chosen one, but there is a fun little plot thing where Buffy dies. When the Slayer dies, another one is chosen, but Buffy comes back to life. So there are now two Slayers when there should be one. Yes. Wackiness ensues. There was another Slayer. She died. So then Faith was called. So mm-hmm. Faith is Buffy's shadow. Interesting. Yeah. So Faith is Buffy's shadow. They also have insane sexual tension. Uh. Oh my god so much sexual tension and buffy and faith are their 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 antagonistic sexual tension uh relationship has been said is an uh influence on the relationship of catra and adora and oh, there yes. are very particular moments that you can see that so the writers of shira and the princesses of power have tweeted pictures of buffy and faith and acknowledged that they were watching buffy specifically watching Buffy Faith scenes while they were writing Catradora scenes. Yes. So it's 100% confirmed. Yes. But so Faith's deep insecurity is, you know, she betrayed Buffy, obviously. She did something very bad, possibly unforgivable. Buffy had to attack her. She really had no choice. 
Faith almost died. She was gone. She came back. You know, she she woke up from the coma she was never supposed to wake up from. And she spends like her next two guest episodes freaking out about like, oh, you know, I thought you stabbed me for that guy you were so in love with. And now I come back and find that you've hopped on to the first meat stick you saw in college. Mm -hmm. It's really like why, you know. Why didn't you ever want me? You were so in love with that beef stick, but you weren't really because here's another beef stick, you know, just as easy to replace him. You know, this it's like, this is bullshit. This is what you replaced yeah. me for. This is what you left me for. This is what you replaced right. me for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the feels are deep, people. Deep. Deep feels. So, yeah, this is this is absolutely um, almost verbatim. <laughs> honestly. Yes, exactly. Uh, you can absolutely see that the influence uh, here and you're going to see it in so many more places and uh, we will absolutely be pointing it out. It's a strong theme. It's a very strong theme. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out visually when they do the close up on Catra's face, you see Catra's three freckles. We did. We see from the beginning in the character design that Catra has freckles. Super cute, but also I noticed this that the freckles are a visual nod to whiskers. I agree, hundred percent, because she has exactly three on each side. Yep, uh, in the same pattern, um, but does not have whiskers. No, that would be way too much. Yeah, that would that would take Catra out of Cat Girl and into Furry, which yeah. If that's your jam, rock it. But that's, uh, do not believe that is the intention of the character designers. No, no. All of the characters on this show who have animal body parts, it's strictly like a below the neck situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, Catra has cat ears. Oh, well, you're right. You're right. Their faces, they always have human faces. Yes. They they have human faces and human, uh, human noses. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we've covered that crazy, hot, angry, sexual tension between Catra and Adora. But just when Catra's really getting into her stride, Mermista comes and water bends her out of there. And Bo is also riding her back, but I feel like he's just there for the ride, because what can he do? Yeah, no, I think he's, well, she saved him, and I think that's why he's there. Oh, uh, yeah. So Bo's been saved twice. Yes. And actually, this is the first, like, overt, like, conscious choice heterosexual moment that I've seen on the whole show is Mermista blushing over being, you know, in a tight bodily embrace with Bo in the water. Huh. Did you notice that? I thought she was blushing because She-Ra thanked her. But she was looking at Bo when she was blushing. Huh. I, it's interesting that we read it differently. I always thought it was about Bo, about the fact that, you know, Bo was like jetpacking her. Because he was, she was looking at him when she was like, yeah, whatever, it's no big deal. Yeah, no, I totally read that as, like, the same way, like, Perfuma would look at She-Ra, too. Mm. Like, because She-Ra just, you know, saved the Seagate. Interesting. I like your interpretation more, but I don't know now. I don't know. Um, I would love it if people would tweet at us uh, at HeyAdoraCast and tell us what you thought. Yeah. Who was Mermista blushing because of? Was it Bo or was it Shira? I'm going with Shira. I'm taking my firm stance on that one. Okay. I love when she she jumps out of the water. Her mermaid tail turns back into legs and she has those amazing sneakers. I love Mermista's like, <laughs> she wears sneakers. Yeah, I love her sneakers too. She got like sick like high tops. Yep, yep. So, yay, she refixes the gate. Everything is hunky-dory there in Selenius. And, yes, the Horde shenanigans are up now because Seahawk and Glimmer send the flaming dragon's daughter straight at the Horde ship 
and everyone jumps to safety right before fiery death happens at sea. Kaboom. Well, fiery death of a ship. Fiery death of two ships. Yes. No people die. They all jumped away. Big kaboom at sea. Yep. And now with all those distractions out of the way, Shira can finally finish healing the gate. Yep. And Mermista is like, wow, that's cool, but... I'm totally over it. I'm totally over it. But yeah. she's she's not. No, it's just, I love that line. Wow, it was cool. But I'm totally over it. Totally over it. That's Marista. If she shows one moment of enthusiasm, she has to immediately follow it up with, oh, but I'm over it now. It's no big deal. I'm done with this. Yeah, I'm not invested. I wasn't invested in, yeah. in whatever. She just really wants everyone to know that she's not invested in anything. Totally. Whereas uh, Seahawk wants everybody to know that he's so invested in all of the things. Oh my gosh. Yes. And also I noticed that Shira was a lot, a lot more confident about healing the Seagate than she was about healing the plants in Plumeria. Yes. And I wonder how much of that was about the fact that nobody was pressuring her. No one was assuming 100% that she could do it. She she just said, I'll try. Yes. And she did. She gave mm-hmm. it a shot. Or if it's just the fact that like healing a gate is not the same as healing a living plant. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking because it's a more mechanical thing and, and she... You know, for all we knew, she was able to read in the technical specifications of the Seagate in <laughs> the first one. She's like, oh, this is tied to the runestone. The connection is broken. So if I just put, you know. That's true. Maybe she was just feeding the runestone more raw power. Yeah, she was able to like, okay, it's cool. So this is That's how true. I can fix it. So I will go try to do this. That makes sense. Instead of being like, I don't uh, heal. Uh. <laughs> Sure, I can lift this wagon and hey ladies at you, but... Oh yeah. But let us not forget in the meantime that the Horde kids are all floating away and Scorpia grabs Catra by the scruff of her neck because that's what friends are for. Catra is a little soaked cat and is so grouchy. Yeah, she's pretty grouchy. But she should be glad to have a friend who will drag her away to safety. Oh, sweet baby Scorpia. I know. Loyal, brave, Great hugs. Great hugs. But now that the Seagate is restored, all of our hero friends, all of our rebel friends, are congregating down at the dock. Yep, so they're all da- they're down at the dock. Mermista is so nonchalant when she's like, ugh, I guess you're gonna need a new ship. Yep, I guess you can have one of mine. And they cut to this great shot of the guard just like with the same kind of attitude as Mermista of the like I don't really give a crap breaking mm-hmm. the champagne glass christening the ship by breaking the glass on it yeah like there's no like there's no ceremony to it he's just like looking dead ahead takes the glass yeah it's just like yeah whatever smash it's Boom. christened christened and then cut to Seahawk who is having all of the feels every single feel that Seahawk can have is happening right now oh my god it's almost like he's gonna physically explode he's finally being uh, he's seen, right? Yes, he's being recognized and valued. Yeah, and also she's, you know, she's like, whatever, you can have one. I guess I like you. Just don't set it on fire. And he's like, no promises. Yes, of course. I love that. Gotta be me, bitch. Yeah, he's being honest. Oh, of course he is. He's an honest person. Well, he does have his little deceptions now and then in the name of trying to create adventure. Adventure. Yeah, he's 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 not dishonest. He's just he's just a storyteller. 
But yes, this is the perfect moment for him now that he has just been gifted a new ship by his lady love for him to intercede on Glimmer's behalf and tell Mermista what a brave and strong captain she is and that Mermista should totally join the Princess Alliance. Yeah, and he gets Glimmer's name right. He does. It's the first time. Because they see each other and they're friends. Yes, yes, they work together. And they recognize, you know, they recognize each other's strengths. And because of that, they were able to recognize their own. Mm-hmm. And they were able to work through insecurities together. Yes, it's fun to be friends with friends. Aw. So Mermista's in. Mermista's in. She's like, but and she actually gets serious here. She she yeah. kind of drops the too cool for school for a second and is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The horde just almost destroyed my home. I want to fight them. And then kind of goes back into sarcasm land. And it's like, plus I want to be on the, you know. Plus your friend here is a Valkyrie. Yeah, and I kind of want to be on that side. I of want the, her to be the on equation. my side. Yeah. Yes. So huzzah! Oh, okay. yeah. And so Seahawk says, and I, I I'm so glad because I wrote this and uh, I'm looking at a transcript right now and it, he does say Excelsior. <laughs> Did he say that? Yes. When they're all, instead of yelling adventure, when they're when they're all celebrating, and everyone's like, yeah, hurrah, da, 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 he says, Excelsior, huzzah. I'm like, oh my God. I did not pick up on that at all. Yep. Because I was listening for adventures. Of course. I did an adventure count. Oh, of course. You mentioned. And to my counting, and if this is incorrect, please feel free to tweet us at HeyAdoraCast on Twitter, or you can also hit us up on Instagram at HeyAdoraCast, and let me know know if i'm right or not but i've counted seven instances where seahawk says adventure i mean that seems like a bare minimum i would agree in this episode in this episode i would agree yeah. that it's certainly not less than that yeah smashing excelsior and then Bo and seahawk break yes. into shanty together yes both very excited exuberant people about having friends and the best friend squad on the sea Oh my gosh, they're very excited to have a shanty together. And here is another instance where Bo ends an episode talking about the best friend squad. Yeah. Sweet baby Bo. So we have so many new friends here, y'all. We do. Oh my god. We've got Seahawk and Mermista. And Scorpia! Scorpia! You guys! Oh my god! And so many wonderful people, so mm -hmm. many friends. Seahawk and Mermista, Seahawk and Mermista. Don't forget about Scorpia and that hot bartender. <laughs> okay, well, Jenny! Yes, Meth! What did we learn today? We learned a panoply of things, some Ooh. of which include... Kakiodora is so gay and so hot, but also a total dumbass. Total, I love dumbass Daddy Adora. Yeah, and we love it. Like, how long would she have kept arm wrestling if no one stopped her? I just wonder. She would not have stopped. <laughs> she would not have stopped. I mean, eventually, when they got to Selenius, like, something would have happened. But, you know, these are the things I wonder. We learned that boats in Etheria do not touch the surface of the water even though we didn't bring that up during this episode. It's always true. Have you noticed that? Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, boats in Etheria do not touch the surface of the water. It's very cool. It's like there are hoverboards on the ocean. We have learned that Lonnie, Kyle, Rogelio, and Scorpia all have not had the joie de vivre squished out of them yet. Aww. And we've learned that the Horde does not deserve Scorpia. And frankly, neither do we. None of us deserve to live in a, in a world where Scorpia also lives. But we are grateful. But we are so grateful. 
Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in more gay screaming or screaming about adventure, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at heyadoracast. And please feel free to leave a review on iTunes because the more reviews you leave on iTunes, the louder our gay screaming gets. It's true! So much louder! I've been making Spotify playlists for each episode. This week's episode playlist, The Seagate, is all songs about the sea and is available on Spotify right now. You can find the link in the show notes or by visiting our site at heyadora.gay. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe!